Thank you, Kevin and Sarah. Thank you, Nick. We have a new uh, missions team, and we're trying to bring a a stronger missions focus to uh, you so you can know more about what's happening. And so I think in the last maybe four weeks, we've had three different missions focuses. So we're going to continue today in the book of Exodus. We are in Exodus chapter 6. It's about doubting God. How do you feel when suffering occurs that seems unfair? This is a good question. How do you feel when suffering occurs that seem unfair? How do you feel about God when suffering occurs that seems unfair? This is a question that LifeWay Research asked Americans after the devastating tornadoes in 2013. Here's what they said. The question, how do you feel about God when unfair suffering occurs? 33% said, I trust God more. 25% said, I am confused about God. 16%, I don't think anything about God. 11% said, I wonder if God cares. 8% said, I'm angry or resentful at God. And then 7% said, I doubt that God exists. What about you? What do you think when suffering occurs? What do you think about God when suffering occurs that seems unfair? You trust God more? Are you confused about God? Do you wonder if God cares? Are you angry at God? Or you even wonder if He exists? Um, You know, if Lifeway, Lifeway Research could have asked those questions to the Hebrew slaves after Pharaoh said to them, You are lazy and then forced them to make bricks without straw. And then said, how do you feel about God now? I think some of them would have said, well, I'm a little confused about God. Some of them would have said, I wonder if God even cares. It doesn't seem like he does. And a lot of them would have said, I am just plain angry at God. This doesn't make sense. In Exodus 5, God's people faced a rough stretch in their lives. God promised to deliver them, but it did not lead to immediate results. Instead of getting better, their lives became much worse, much more difficult. Uh, They were slaves. They had severe slave masters. Their burden seemed unbearable. They were beaten by their taskmasters for not making their daily quota. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. But Moses seems to have made it worse, not better. And by the way, Moses did what God asked him to do. Now the people are losing hope. They're not sure if God will deliver them. In fact, they don't believe that God will deliver them. So uh, to remind us a little bit, let's see a map here and get a little context because everybody has to see the map They kind of... You know, what's going on and where they've been. So just go up for a second to Jerusalem. Jerusalem really didn't exist back then. It, was, it had a different name, and Canaanites lived there. Gentiles lived there, not Jewish people. And so it wasn't even the name, but 
Jerusalem is a place we often know at least where it is on the map. So up there is the country where um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob dwelt. And then uh, because of a famine, God used Joseph to get them over to Goshen and Lower Egypt, to to us it looks like Upper Egypt, but it's actually Lower Egypt. And you can see Goshen. That's where Joseph took his people. There were 70 at the end of the book of Genesis. And then you see the the two cities there, Ramesses and Python. And they were store cities. And God uh, made the Israelites first, uh, he employed them as his servants without pay, and then he made them uh, slaves. And he, and he forced them to build cities for him. Now, Moses was, was uh, born there and raised there, but he got raised in Pharaoh's household for 40 years. And then uh, he, he got involved and he ended up killing an Egyptian, kind of doing things in his own strength. And he escaped clear down to Midian on the lower right in a desert area, and he became a shepherd for 40 years. And while he was out with his sheep, he got clear over to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Same, same mountain, same place. And this is where he had an encounter with God at the burning bush. God revealed himself to him and he told Moses, got a job for you. I want you to go back. I've heard the cries of my people. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So, so Moses got a great commission. He went back to Midian and then he ends up... Uh, where God tells him to go back to Egypt because the, the Pharaoh who uh, was concerned about him was dead. A new Pharaoh had arisen. And so Moses is going to go back and uh, talk to Pharaoh. Remember, he did. He had, the, he had the snake, the staff he threw on the ground turned to snake, and he picked it back up. And then he had the, uh, this is what he was supposed to do before the elders so that they would believe these miraculous signs. And he, had, he put his hand in his cloak, and, the, and it became leprous, and he pulled it out, and it got healed. And then um, he had water from the Nile that turned to blood when they poured it on the ground. Three miraculous signs to show that that this was God's messenger. Pay attention to God's message. So things are going pretty well, and then Moses does what God says, and things get really worse. That's where we left it off last time. Pharaoh said, okay, now you have to make bricks. You have to make them without straw. We're not going to help you. You've got to go do it yourself. You've got to disperse your own people. And you've got to make, and so it's almost like doubling the work. So now we come to uh, chapter 6, verse 1. We ended with chapter 6, verse 1 last time, because it was like the only good news in the whole story last week. We're going to start with verse 1 to connect it with the passage that follows. Verses 1 through 12, God's plan unfolds. Now, here's the big picture in verse 1 where we left off last week. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do. And please, you know, like underline that, I will. This is what God is going to do. I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go because of my mighty hand. He will drive them out of his country. So this is God's plan. By the way, this is the same thing God told Moses at Mount Horeb at the burning bush. This is reiterated in chapter 4 and then in chapter 5. It's the same message. Nothing new here. The plan has not changed. There was no setback when Pharaoh doubled the workload. When Pharaoh said, make bricks without straw, you get your own straw. Um, God states that he will deliver them. 
It will be with his mighty hand. That means it's going to be a great, powerful display of, of who he is and what he can do. It will be unmistakable power from God. Verses 2 through 5, the reminder of God's covenant promises. Look at verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Did you forget? I am the Lord. By the way, that's how God revealed himself in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. I am who I am. I am self-existent. I do, I do not rely on anyone. I am the creator God. I am. Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. El Shaddai is, is the word. God Almighty. From age to age, still the same. To quote Amy Grant. A little dated there, but it was a good song. <laughs> El Shaddai. This is important because we forget. We just read the scripture and God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, okay, I get it. But in Egypt, they believed in many gods. They had all kinds of spiritual experiences that, you know, likely were demonic. Various demons behind gods of Egypt where there was supernatural power. By the way, often in religion and any culture, there's supernatural stuff. Supernatural stuff does not mean it's from God in any way. But God, there was only one God, the true and living God, and he revealed himself to Abraham. Well, later he's going to reveal himself to Isaac. But it's the same God. It's not a new God. It's not a, a spiritual experience with something new. It's the same one. And then it's going to be Jacob. And it's not just once with these guys, okay? This is important. Same God, just still, and, and God made some promises that are really important. Verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but my name's the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. Now, I told them my name. They knew my name, but now they're going to really see who I am. My name is going to be exposed. My power is going to be displayed. Who I am is going to be revealed more than ever before. Verse 4, I also established my covenant to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Now, he's referring back to the Abrahamic covenant. This is important. I'm going to take a little aside here, and, and some of you are going to get impatient with this. This is really important to the Bible, to all of the Bible, Okay. And uh, for some, it may, may give you some uh, insight into the whole big picture of Scripture. Uh, this is not, the Abrahamic covenant is not the old covenant. The old covenant hasn't happened yet. The old covenant is, is the relationship God will establish with his people through Moses, and we will call it the law. If you come to the New Testament and you read the Apostle Paul, you hear about the law and the promises. The promises go back to Abraham. The law goes back to Moses. So this predates Moses by several hundred years, this, these, this promise. Verse 5, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. I have remembered my covenant. Now, it's not like God forgot his covenant, but what God is saying is, Now in my plan... I am bringing to the front burner this whole issue about the promises. And you are going to see the promises come to pass. 
Now I begin to um, work toward that. So uh, let's go back to the original promise. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham or Abram is, is introduced at the end of chapter 11. We, don't, we know practically nothing about him except he was from the land of the Chaldees. He was from Babylon. That's where he was from. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. New piece of geography. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That's like pie in the sky, isn't it? It's going to be a land. You're going to be a blessing. And what I've, I've left out the most important verse, and I'm just going to read it to you. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Been a lot of people curse the Jewish people throughout history. All the per- peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abram. This is going to tie all the Bible together. And the Apostle Paul is going to tell us ultimately that it's Jesus is the ultimate descendant of Abram. This is important. And Jesus is going to die on the cross. That's where we come in. And he paid the penalty for our sin. And we now have access to God through Jesus. But that's not the end. There's a whole lot more coming. Because Jesus is going to come back again. And when he does, he's going to fulfill the promises God made to Abram. Okay? Let's keep going. Um, I'm going to jump. A few years later pass. Genesis 13, 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram, after, the, after Lot had departed from him, look around from where you are to the north, the south, to the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I will give you, you and your offspring, how long? Forever. There is a piece of geography that is promised to Abraham's descendants forever. I think that promise wouldn't have ended yet, right? Verse 16, I will make your offspring. Abram doesn't even have any children yet. Years later, God has appeared to him. He's getting old. He's older than me, and he doesn't have any children yet. I will make you offspring like the dust of the earth. I think that means a lot, by the way. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Next slide. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. This is a promise. We call this the Abrahamic covenant. We call these the promises of God. Um, They go through all of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. This is why it's so important. And it makes sense when you see it in light of the life of Moses right now. Okay, years later, time passes. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, this is... This is, he's having to wait, isn't he? 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God Almighty. Maybe El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. By the way, what happened in Goshen? They began to be fruitful and multiply and their, neighbor, their numbers became so great they became a problem to Pharaoh. 
Okay? Uh, verse 3, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, next slide, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Abram is the father of the Arabic nations. He's the father of the Muslim nations. He's the father of the Jewish nation. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. So his name gets changed here by God. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Read the Old Testament. All the kings of Israel come from Abraham. All the kings of Judah come from Abraham. Next slide. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. It never went out of style. It's never been hampered. It's still right on course. Between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, this is a piece of real estate, a real piece of geography. It's where the land of Israel is today, but it is much larger than the land that's right there. I will give as an everlasting possession, everlasting. There's no time limit on this. To you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So, uh, why is this so important? Because it's eternal. It has not been fulfilled. It is an eternal covenant that will be fulfilled. It's a covenant that had its major fulfillment in Christ with his life and death and resurrection. And it's, a, it's an eternal covenant that will have its fulfillment in the book of Revelation. And this is why it makes sense to know your Bible. Because you can trace this all the way through. It's not that complicated. It's just easy to get bogged down in details and just kind of forget the whole picture here. Okay, verses 6 through 8, the message for God's people. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I am who I am. There he is. God saying, this is who I am. I want you to know. And I want you to know more about me. I want you to see what I'm going to do because I want you to trust me. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's what he wants. God wants his people to know that he is the Lord. God wants us to know him. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. But it hasn't happened yet. But it's going to happen And I will bring you to the land I swore with the uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession signed at the bottom. I am the Lord. And my name depends on this. Okay? This will happen. You just walk into the future and you trust me. Count on it. God is going to do this. Verse 9. The doubts of God's people. Moses reported this to the Israelites. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. I think we can understand their discouragement. I think we can understand that this harsh labor, that they have slave masters who beat them for not making their quota. Life is getting worse. God has come on the scene and said he's going to do something, but life is worse. It's harder. They don't see God being in this. They think Moses is not a trustworthy leader. And God's people are what? They're focused on their own circumstances. 
Yes, this is an extremely difficult period in their lives. Apparently, for them, God doesn't care about them. You ever feel that way? This is, there's rough patches in life, and it seems like God is absent. It's exactly where they are, and it seems like he's been ex- absent for a really long time. They are discouraged. Life is just overwhelming. They don't know if they will survive another day. Maybe some of them didn't. And it seems like Moses doesn't really understand reality. There's not much hope in him. And, you know, where is God when we need him? By the way, I need God now. I don't need him later. I need him now. I might be dead later. The point is, God's people do not believe God's word. God has spoken. God has promised. God says, I will do this. And they doubt that God is going to do this. They do not like the way God is handling their lives. It is not good enough for them. Okay, verses 10 and 11, the restatement of God's plan. Then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the Israelites go out of his country. Same plan, same message, no change. God is not thwarted by the doubts of his people. By the way, these promises aren't based on performance of his people. Now, his people can be blessed because of obedience. But God's plan is not about whether his people follow. God is going to work it and orchestrate his plan. God proceeds with his plan. And he didn't ask for anybody to sign off. There was no vote here about what God was going to do. Verse 12, the doubts of God's leader. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Lord, I went to them, I did what you said, and they didn't believe me can't do it. Lord, I'm not a good speaker. Did God ask Moses to speak better? Nope. He just said, go, Moses. Here's the message. You speak. You tell them. But Lord, it's so hard, and they don't believe me, and they, you should have seen how they looked at me, and they laughed at me, and they're not interested doesn't change God's perspective. Moses thinks God is short-sighted. Moses thinks God has underestimated the situation. Moses doesn't think God knows him very well. Okay, we're going to go to verses 13 through 26. Now we're going to take an aside God's record-keeping for his people, and we're just going to do a quick summary here of this record-keeping. Record-keeping is important. Uh, Uh, chapter 6, verse 13. This is a summary tag. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and the Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. We already know that. But what he's going to do now, he wants to identify just who Moses and Aaron are, and he's going to talk about some of the family lineage and and how they're connected back to Abraham, how these two, Moses and Aaron, are really uh, biologically connected back to Abraham. Verses 14 through 25, the family relatives. Here's what you need to know. Jacob had 12 sons. Three of them get mentioned here, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. 
We're going to go across. These are the oldest sons. We're going to forget the other sons. We're not going to mention the nine sons. We get to Levi, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. We're going to go down Levi's family now and connect Levi to Abraham, or excuse me, to Moses and Aaron. So that's exactly what he does all the way down through verse 25. One of the important things here is Aaron will become the first high priest of Israel. And through this family of Levi will come the Levitical priesthood. And there's a connection all the way back to Abraham, and we can show that. And this Moses and Aaron um, came through the tribe of Levi. And by, when you get to verse 25, you get down to Phineas, and Phineas was like a real person during the life of Moses who became a high priest, and he was a godly leader. So it's like making that connection for us. Verse 26 and 27, it was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh. This is the same Moses and Aaron. So just to be sure for the reader, for all of posterity, this is who they are. Okay, you got that? Let's go on to number three. God remembers uh, God's reminder to God's leader. Verses 28 through 30. God's leader still has doubts. Look at 28. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Are you getting that message? God's starting by, okay, do you remember who I am? Just to remind you, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the creator of God. No one, I depend on no one else. So, okay, Moses, here it is, verse 29. He said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, it's my faltering lips, God, since I speak with faltering lips. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? God, I don't think I can do this. So, how patient is God? And by the way, Moses is one of the greatest... um, leaders of all time, one of the greatest heroes of the Jewish faith. He's one of the uh, most quoted people in the New Testament, and his feet are just like yours and mine, aren't they? He's got clay feet. He worries about stuff just like we do. He feels inadequate. How can God use him? You know, if you were writing this, wouldn't you want to make yourself look a little better? But he's telling it just the way it is. God did not ask Moses to be a good speaker. Moses was focusing on himself. He was focusing on him being inadequate. We know he's inadequate. God knows he's inadequate. Being inadequate is not the problem. God said to Moses, "Um, I will, I will, I will. I will. God said seven times to Moses, Moses, I will do these things. Moses, I'm not asking you to do these things. I will do these things. God still affirms his leader, verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to the Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. And this was introduced last week. It's a little bit odd for us. What do you mean, Moses is going to be like God. Well, the idea is God is going to place Moses in authority over Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful human on the face of the earth during this day, most powerful world leader of his day. 
And actually, God is going to put Moses over him. Not that Moses is going to be a god, but he's going to have an authority over him. And um, so God's saying to Moses, forget about your own inadequacies. It's not about you, Moses. It's about what I'm going to do. Um, Aaron is going to be the spokesperson. You tell Aaron what to say. Moses, I just need you to follow through. Verse 2, you are to say everything I command you. Your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh, let the Israelites go out of this country. Just tell Pharaoh the same message. You don't have to convince him. You don't have to reason with him. You just need to speak for me. Verse 3, but I, but I, this is God, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, because this power displayed is going to come. We're going to see that in, in the pages ahead. He will not listen to you. Guess what, Moses? It's still going to be hard. Because I'm going to display my mighty power, and it's not going to be easy. We would just like God to display his power, zap everybody, and paradise. Moses, it's not going to happen. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt. I will, God says. This is what I'm going to do. And my mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions and my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Okay, got it? That's it. Nothing new here, Moses. Same message. This is what I told you in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4 and Exodus 5. You go, say this to Pharaoh. I'll do the rest. Verses 6 and 7. God's leader is renewed. Moses uh, overcomes his doubts now. Sort of that encouragement from God. God says it again, he says it again, and he says it again, and okay, Moses, I'm, he's going to try it again. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Finally, Moses did it just as the Lord commanded. And you know what? This is all God wanted for Moses, just to go and to speak, just to do what he said. Verse 7, Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. These are just old geezers. You know, humanly, they were just men who were doing what God said. And they weren't powerful leaders. They were just the guys that were appointed by God to do what he said. And they followed through. I think that's all God wants us to do, is to follow through. Some lessons. We have some lessons here. Sometimes God's people have to hear things over and over before they hear and believe. Would you agree with that? Sometimes we just have to hear the message over and over and over. And that's exactly what happened to Moses. Moses heard God's plan over and over. God's people heard God's plan over and over. God says, I'm going to deliver you from slavery. They, they just don't think it's going to happen. They liked the idea, but their circumstances got worse. You know, it was all about their circumstances. And so they doubted God. 
How about you? Do you trust the promises of God? You know, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You believe that? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God says he will answer your prayer. Do you believe that? Are you okay when God answers your prayer? Yes or no or wait. Um, God says when you pray, he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Do you believe that? Or would you just rather be anxious and say, it's probably not true, God? Um, God says he will forgive you. Do you believe that? Is there anything in your life that you don't think God could forgive you for? God says he will forgive you through Jesus. Jesus paid for it all. Everything you've done. God says, if you place your faith in Jesus, you will be in heaven for eternity. Do you believe that? Do you trust? That's a promise of God. Secondly, second lesson, you have a choice. You can be shaped by your circumstances or you can be shaped by God. Let your circumstances mold you. Or let God mold you as you go through those circumstances. It's easy to be in a very difficult situation. Some of you are right now. And some of you have been. Most of us have been in some pretty difficult situations. And our circumstances can be just overwhelming. It can be um, health issues. Cancer, heart, surgeries. It can be loss of a family member, loss of a baby, loss of a marriage, difficult things with our kids. Circumstances can be hard, but do you want God to uh, shape you, or do you, want, do you just want to live under the pile of the circumstances? Because life can be harsh, exhausting, and cruel. Romans 8, 28 and 29 is a good reminder. I want to be careful not just to throw this verse out there at problems, but think about it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. All things are not good. God has the power to work through every detail of your life and to work good in them for you. doesn't mean it feels good. It means that he does good in you for you. All things work for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, that's the goal. God wants to uh, form you to be like his son, to be like the image of Jesus Christ. And he's going to work in your life to keep shaping you and chiseling away, going through difficult times, using a little sandpaper once in a while, and you're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the plan. Third lesson, contentment is based on your relationship with God, not on your circumstances. You've heard me say this before, but God's people were not very content. And hey, I can sympathize with how difficult their situation was. Contentment is about the circumstances of your heart. Contentment is about your inner circumstances. 
Contentment is not about the circumstances around you. We cannot control the circumstances around us. We can control a few things. You know, we can clean our own houses and pick up the toys off the floor. Those are a few things we can control. We can do, do the dishes. We can go to work and do our job if we have one. There's some things we can control, but there's a whole lot of things we can't. We can't control our health. We can't control if our company goes out of business and we lose a job. There's just a lot of stuff that we can't control. We can't control our kids and the decisions they make as they grow up. They make their own decisions. We can choose how we deal with our circumstances. Philippians 4, 12, and 13. It's a great passage. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. You know, that's not just pie in the sky. This is something he lived with. How to be content. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And if you want to read Paul's bio, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he'll tell you about some of the things that he struggled with and the beatings that he experienced, and he was left for dead. And, you know, life wasn't easy. He got beat up pretty good just because he was a Christian. Then he says, verse 13, You know what? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do everything that God wants me to do. It doesn't make my life easy, but I can do what I need to do. I can have contentment in my circumstances. I can be who God wants me to be. And that includes suffering for Paul. Number four, God never promised that your life would be easy. Stop wishing that it were. You know, we know better, but we get into a magical thinking. It's like, you know, if I'm a Christian, life's, God should take care of me. He should make... He should, you know, I want joy all the time. Um, and it's not going to happen. The scripture over and over and over again tells us about trials and tribulation and suffering and trouble in this world. We're prepared for that. And sometimes it's just like it bounces right off. Now, here's why. I hope this is good insight for you. When God created man, when he created Adam and Eve, he put them in paradise in the garden. And it was perfect. No flaws there until sin. And then God drove them out because of sin. They couldn't be there anymore. There's something being created in the image of God that we know there is an ideal. We know within us there is a utopia. Humans have been seeking for a utopia from every culture. And, and it's because there is a real heaven. Problem is, it isn't now. It's not yet. That's what Christianity is all about. It's living the not yet. We need to show the world how to live the not yet. How do we handle life day after day after day when it's really hard? Because everybody's life gets hard sometimes. And God enables us to walk with Him, to live by faith just one day at a time. Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5 Paul's going to talk about suffering, verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Next slide. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. We need hope. God gives us hope. 
when we walk with Him through the difficult places in life. Number five, God has promised a life when pain and suffering will be removed. God has promised. There is a time coming when pain and suffering will be removed. We will see utopia, which is maybe not a good word. There is a real heaven. Honor God and wait for it. There is a time coming when God is going to remove pain and suffering. It's not yet. It will be. And life right now includes waiting on God, Matthew, or excuse me, Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. It's exactly what God wanted the Hebrews to do. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will wait for the Lord. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. This is one of the promises. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first, this is the Apostle John. This is, there's only 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, so we're coming to a close at the book of the Bible. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Remember that back on the map where Jerusalem was? There's going to be a new Jerusalem. Where? In the promised land. In the land that God promised Abraham. And it's going to be really there. That's going to be the center of the world. In this new heavens, in this new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. God's going to come down to earth with this city. It's going to meet. Heaven and earth are going to meet. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Bride? Who's that? I believe it's the church the bride of Christ, and the husband is Jesus. Next slide. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. We're going to be in a place, God is going to enable us to be with him in an eternal situation. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is about the Abrahamic covenant. These are promises that God made to Abraham, but this is how we didn't know everything. We didn't have the book of Revelation back in Exodus. This is where the history of the world is headed. God is going to fulfill every promise. Lastly, and this is what we're going to go away with, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. This is what God wanted from Moses. This is what God wanted from his people. And this is what he wants from you and me. He just wants us to trust him. Uh, Romans 1.17. For the gospel, this is the Apostle Paul. And he says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. First to last, what does that mean? It means you begin your relationship with God by faith. You place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from the penalty of your sins. He died for you. You receive that truth personally to yourself, and you're saved from the penalty of your sins, and your, and your new life begins with Christ. You're born again. You're a newbie. But life continues day by day, living by faith. And that's why it says, the righteous will live by faith. This is how we're to do it. This is uh, for you and for me. 
Uh, Romans 10, 11. Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. God is going to be looking for people uh, who will trust him in the good times, who will trust him in the difficult times, in the hard times. So let me go back to that question. How do you feel about God when suffering seems unfair? Next week, let the good times begin because God is going to begin to reveal his power and we're going to see the first plague in Egypt. Let's stand. Father, we want to uh, thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for what we learn. Sometimes we're slow learners. You have communicated your plan. You've made promises that go back thousands of years. And here we are today. We're connected to those promises by faith. We've been born again. We've experienced new life. We've experienced forgiveness. And you just want us to trust you. And we do face difficult circumstances. And I know there are people going through hard times right here this morning. And you just ask us to trust you, to lean on you, for ask for strength, because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Sometimes that's, we just need strength for this hour and strength for this day, because tomorrow will be another day. Thank you, God, that you've told us the end from the beginning. And we see how we fit. Give us the courage to trust you. Give us the insight to trust you. Give us the boldness to follow you. Help us. In our unbelief, help us to trust you. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.